1: what folks don't understand is that Beyonce is an athlete. And I remember, and I shared this with the passing of Kobe, uh, who was a young man I knew uh, growing up with the girls. And I I remember getting a call from Kobe directly. He was like, she can knows, I, can I get two tickets? Uh, it was kind of last minute. And I was like, well, uh, it was like, I really want to sit on the front row. Uh, I said, well, yeah, I, I think I can make that happen for you. I said, why do you want to go to a Beyonce show? And he says, I wanted to see greatness. And I wanted to learn. And, you know, as we now know now, we know that would be it. You know, you would want to learn something. But think about it. When somebody performs for two to two and a half hours and they're constantly moving, at a very high rate of speed, like a basketball player or a football player. They don't have timeouts. They do have like four, five, one-minute break to do a wardrobe change. They don't have another team that can play defense. (laughs) (laughs) That's an athlete.
0: Matthew Knowles is Beyonce's father, and he served as her manager for many years. So he has a unique insight into her amazing career. I talked to Matthew about how B has done it and what the strategy has been and what has really set her apart. And he had some really interesting answers. If you love Beyonce and want to understand her success, you got to check out this conversation. And now... It's Mr. Matthew Knowles on Torre Show. I talked to you a long time ago uh, when I did a big story on uh, Beyonce for Rolling Stone. And uh, we had a nice talk on the phone. And it sort of relates to your book about Destiny's Child because part of what you talked about was your history at Xerox and marketing and uh, that sort of stuff and translating that into Destiny's Child. So can you talk a little bit about how your Fortune 500 sales and marketing experience helped them and was applied to their career at the beginning?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for uh, allowing me an opportunity. I enjoyed our talk before. I hope wherever you are, you're safe. Yeah, and and it looks that way, Um, but you know, I came from corporate America. Uh, Twenty years of of corporate America uh, had no great success in corporate America in sales and marketing. I sold zero radiography for breast cancer detection with the medical division of Xerox. I was one of the first blacks to sell MRI and CT scanners in America. Uh, Then I ended my corporate career as a neuro Um, a uh, health specialist with Johnson & Johnson. Uh, So it was pretty varied, uh, and it gave me exceptional experience, Uh, exceptional experience in terms of marketing, uh, exceptional experience in terms of branding. Uh, And and It gave me how to build relationships. Uh, So when I went into the music industry, unlike others, I was a little bit older. Uh, And I uh, came in with, rather than going into the record industry, we were going into the branding and endorsement industry. And our approach was totally different than most. Uh, When we first came in, it was a typical, you end up urban division, the black division, Uh, the budgets were lower. Uh, Your marketing budget was lower. Your video budget was lower. Your promotion budget was lower. Uh, And I understood uh, immediately that I had to bring in partnerships. Uh, So our first partnership was L'Oreal. And you saw, you know, Beyonce's commercials. But prior to that, they had Destiny's Child Songs in commercials. Uh, Our first partnership was also on Walmart. If you take out Walmart out of the equation, then Destiny Child and, and Beyonce would not have been as successful uh, because then we were talking about physical CDs and Walmart dominated the industry in terms of physical, the most uh, vi- uh, sold physical CDs. So we build those relationships, but we also knew that the world is much bigger than the 330 million people in America. There's another 7 billion people out there that we wanted to go out and and market and sell to. And so we did a lot of international uh, promotions. The girls worked extremely hard uh, going around the world and building this brand. also.
0: I'm curious, like, what were some of the things that you, like, you talk about you had a different approach, but what were some of the things you were able to take from your Corporate experience and drop into okay. I was selling these machines. Now I'm marketing and branding these girls who I love. How? What were some of the similarities?
1: Well, I think what I I, I, I gathered from corporate America uh, and the things that I did in corporate America, uh, like I was the president of a division part of, of Xerox uh, MUSR Minorities United in the Southern Region where the majority of the Blacks that worked at Xerox, we formed an allegiance and an alliance, and I was the president of that uh, organization. It taught me leadership skills. So when I went into the music industry, I had leadership skills, and I knew uh, through leadership skills how to empower others. Back when I went in the industry, managers, artists, and record labels The artists hated the record company. Yes. You've heard that before, I'm sure, right?
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, we were just the opposite of that. We built a partnership with the record label. Uh, We were on the same page of what our final goal was. We weren't on separate pages. I'm not going to do that for the record label. Ah, the record label will make all the money. Well, we understood that, A, we were building a brand. And be in a partnership everyone has to win. So the girls work their butts off, not selling, not making a lot of money in the beginning, but building their base and selling records and building a relationship with Columbia Records because they're making a profit from this project, uh, which only 1% of all albums make a profit.
0: What were the brand values that you were aiming toward at the beginning?
1: Well, the brand value is that we had tremendous talent. We had different imaging. Uh, You know, when we got into the industry, uh, Tina, my, my former wife and friend, did an exceptional job on imaging Destiny's Child. Uh, the brand value was that we were international. The brand value, if we were not, and I would not allow the, the, the girls to be an urban brand only, uh, that we were a general market brand uh, and brought value and that we could sell to the overall market. Uh, and, and the other value is we had tremendous talents and, and tremendous work ethics. These girls had a million-dollar dream. Some people have a million-dollar dream and they give it minimum wage work ethics. They were just the opposite. They had a million-dollar dream and they gave you ethics undeniable. You know, when I look at Michael Jordan's Last Dance, it made me think about Destiny Child and Beyonce's career. Uh, and, and Michael kind of reminded me of Uh, Not counting, but reminded me of Beyonce. Scotty Pippen reminded me of Kelly, the dynamic duo. Uh, And and the personality of Michael that he wanted to win and the personality that he wouldn't ask anybody in the group, on the team here, to do anything he wouldn't do uh, just reminded me so much of you know, that whole documentary and how Phil Jackson was the coach, that's the same as a manager, you know? I mean, I've
0: heard heard stories of other groups. They go on the first tour and it is exhausting and it's out of your world. And a lot of people go on their first tour and they're like, I'm good. I don't like this. This is not fun. And I've heard from folks at, at Columbia who were like, Beyonce and them went on their first tour. They loved it. And as soon as it was over, it's like, when can we go back? And there was just this insatiable desire and work ethic to, like, just be out there performing, never stopping.
1: Is that how you remember it? Well, you got to remember I'm the manager. You know, the girls get a lot of credit. But, you know, I said something in January. I'm not giving that credit away anymore. Uh, They deserve credit. But had it not been for me, none of you want to say that. Had it not been for me, we wouldn't be sitting here. So I, I just unapologetically, I'm unapologetically now going to get my role. Okay, so what is the critical part that, that that you did? The critical part was building a relationship with the label, convincing my artist of value of working, going and working as hard as they did, putting together an exceptional team. Their publicist, still Beyonce's publicist. Road manager, still Beyonce's road manager. Security, still Beyonce's security. Putting together that team, Uh, because it wasn't just I, I of any of this. This was a team effort of record label artists with a credible talent. Beyonce's gifted, with a credible work ethics, but a team of people, and we were all on the same page. Again, it reminds me of the Michael Jordan the Last Dance. That was a team effort. Sure. Led by one individual, which would be Beyonce, who had this incredible drive. But had it not been for the coach, it's a different road. They would have won six championships, and everybody well, knows that. You know, to your
0: point, look, it's not like. You dropped the first single, it blew up, and the rest is history. The beginning was rocky. There were some uh, lineup changes. People were like, what's going on? Every time we see this group, it's a different three or four of them. So talk about that segment of it and how you got through that to finally get, okay, this is our steady lineup, and now we're off to the races.
1: Great great question. Uh, I got involved. This was ever going Uh, lineup. You know, it started out as girls' time. It started out in the early 90s. The girls were very young, 11, 10, 11 years old. Uh, I'm working number one sales rep at Xerox. This is not my focus at all. I was just a dad who dropped off his kid to practice because Tina And I own a major hair salon, and she, on the weekends, was doing that. Uh, So that was my role to drop her off. I wasn't involved with that at all. I would go play basketball, come back and pick her up. Uh, But then they went to Star Search. So, you know, for the younger folks listening, (laughs) consider that American Idol. Yep. Uh, And they lost, we'll say, on American Idol. Uh, But it was Star Search. That's when I got involved, when the girls were crying their hearts out. Uh, and I went to Ed McMahon, the host. So, said, what does a dad do? I mean, I'm seeing these kids crying. They work so hard. I know this is their dream. I mean, what am I supposed to do? He said, look, I don't know what, what's going here on here with my own show. Because Boys to Men came on, they lost. Usher came on, he lost. Justin Timberlake came on, he lost. Britney Spears came on, she lost. And he said, but one thing they had in common is when they went back home, uh, they made changes, they refocused, rededicated. uh, And and so that's when I got involved. Uh, Then management, they split, it was three young ladies. Uh, They had some quarrels, they split up. Uh, One of them and I partnered together uh, we knew we couldn't have dancers. They were trying to get a record deal with dancers. Can you believe trying to get a record deal with dancers? Uh, <laughs> so that's how far removed they were from the industry. So, you know, I went back to school, uh, went, took art, artist management, took uh, production, you know, took some courses so I could know something. I went to every seminar that you could imagine. Uh, to educate myself and began to build relationships. Uh, Then we had to make lineup changes. The dancers were no longer part. And then Babyface and Ella, a Reed's partner, still their partner, Daryl Simmons, saw the girls perform in Houston uh, at a black expo. And he liked what he saw, and he signed the girls. Uh, But that didn't work out. And they got dropped. He had a production deal with Sylvia Rome at Electro Records, who was there, Electro Records. Huge. Uh, it shows how naive I was uh, because Electric Electro Records then had invoke. Right. And heyday. And one thing I know today, I would never try to get a record deal where there's another group or another artist just like mine. And they're at the highlight of the, their career because you know the record label is going to put all their emphasis on that. With, with that just to, to drill
0: down on that point, someone else might say, if Sylvia and Electra knows how to make and Vogue hot, surely they know how to make another, right? I mean, like Clive Davis has done it with lots of different singular Black women over and over. So why are you saying if a Sylvia or whoever, Joe Johnson has and Vogue and you have a similar girl group, You don't want to go there.
1: No, I I highly, highly recommend that you look at another label that does not have something like you have. So all the focus of that label could be on you. Uh, When you have a a superstar act, these girls involved with superstar acts. Right. When you have a baby act, uh, you know, that's kind of like saying, Jay Z's on a label and a new no name rapper's on a label. Like, why wouldn't you want to sign a no name rapper when they only have one other rapper and it's Jay Z? Like, it'd be crazy to do that. They only okay. have one other girl group. It was in vogue. Like, you can't put the same amount of focus. Well, why didn't it work You're out with to somebody with 30 years of experience now? No, here, I hear you.
0: you why didn't it work that out does with not work. Why didn't it work out with Babyface in L.A.? Because they were super hot. They super understood R&B and making hit records. What what was the disconnect there? No, it wasn't Babyface
1: in L.A. It was Daryl Simmons, their partner.
0: Okay, okay, okay.
1: Their their writing partner. um, And still is their writing partner. What happened, Daryl, this was his first production deal. We all were new. I was a new manager. My partner was a new manager. Daryl, this was his, you know, he's making hit records with everybody in the industry, the three, those three, uh, and, and him Babyface in LA. So you can imagine how busy he, he was making hit records, right? So he then formed a production company, Silent Partner Production. He had a rap group out of Alabama. He had a solo artist out of Atlanta. And then he had Destiny Shaw. I understand this totally today. When you're that successful, doing any one aspect of the music industry, you don't have the time to dedicate to other areas. He had the passion. He wanted this to be successful. But none of those three artists were successful because his focus was on songwriting mm-hmm. with Elliot and Babyface. I understand that today. Then I didn't understand. Today I clearly understand it. I have a lot of respect for Dell.
0: So why was Columbia the right home?
1: Because this young lady, Teresa LaBarbera-Whites, who was then a talent scout, and she was new. And she literally met us before we signed a deal with Electra. She sent the tape up to Columbia Records. It got lost. Not one time, not two times, three times. (laughs) Third time, I thought, look, you're just giving me some BS rather than just saying, you know, there's no interest. And literally signed. Daryl, and two days later, she's like, we want to give you a deal. I'm like, sorry, it's too late. We've already signed the deal. Uh, and, but she stayed with it and kept up with us. And then when the ladies got dropped, she came back to the picture and wanted to have a showcase with the girls. And we had that showcase, and that's how they got signed.
0: Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. You know, there's, there's a lot of parents, as managers in the industry. I've met a lot of of moms that we call them momagers, you know, they call themselves momagers at times, definitely some dads, fewer, uh, but definitely some. Did you experience folks saying like, when you're building, like, oh, you know, that's just their dad, you know, like, you know, not necessarily giving you the same respect that they would somebody who was uh, not, not related to the talent.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point as well. And, and, you know, I very seldom said I was the dad. Okay. Uh, I very seldom said that, if ever. Uh, other people might have said it, but I would never say, use the word dad. Uh, but you have to remember I had other arts also. You know, I managed Nas for a period of time. Uh, you know, I had a, a Mario that I managed at the same time. So it wasn't like I was just, I had Lil' Ho who was signed to MCA Records, who back in the 90s, as you know, there was no better urban label that had Puffy on it, Mary J. Blythe on it, you know, I can go on and on. You know who was on that label. That was the first artist I signed. It wasn't Destiny's Child. That's the point I want folks to know. Destiny Shaw was the second artist I got a, a record deal, major record deal. The first artist was Le O rapper, who was successful with his first album on MCA Records. So I had built a relationship in the industry. I starting to build a relationship in, in the industry.
0: You um, Yeah, you're you, you you're, you're making me think about Andre Harrell now, and you know, we're yeah, all all Yeah, he was sort of- there. Yeah, you made, it's, it's just sad that, you know, he, he just recently passed. You know, do you have any, yeah. the, you know, what are your, your thoughts and memories in, on that?
1: Yeah, I have to say I just occasionally met Andre at different events. Always a stand-up man. Uh, always encouraging. Uh, and was a leader. That's yeah. what I would say about Andre. Where they were all there. Jody was there uh MCA. I mean... Heavy D was there. So, so, so
0: just to the point of you're not just uh, Beyonce and Destiny's Child's manager. What are some of the keys to being a great artist manager? Because we've seen a lot of bad ones or a lot of ones who are just riding coattails. You're clearly taking the effort, shaping careers. What are the keys to being a great artist manager?
1: Well, there's a number. One is identifying talent, and talent is for me also. Identifying if that artist is passionate about what they're doing. Because inside of passion, uh, you have the work ethics, they coexist. If you don't have the passion, then your work ethics will be weak. So I first want to understand the work ethics, then I want to understand the artistry. Uh, It's about, as a manager, I have to know everybody's job. I have to know what the road manager does, I have to know what the head of marketing does. I have to know what publicity does. I have to know everyone's stuff. And I have to put that team together and manage that team on a daily basis. And I have to understand. So it's knowledge-based. Most managers aren't knowledgeable of the industry. They're just some buddies and, you know, they, they, they take the time to gain the knowledge. I know this business. The other part is building relationships. People did a lot of things for Destiny's Child, a lot of things for Beyonce because they liked us. And we're in an industry of I don't like you, uh, I'll do it, but I'll kind of sort of do. Does the manager
0: have a role in terms of taste, in terms of direction, in terms of hey? You know, you're, you, we want to stoke the urban audience more, or we want to do this, or we let's go into a movie so we can make you big, like so bigger sorts of taste things, cultural things. Like, is that a big part of it? That's a huge part
1: of it. Is planning and strategic planning, knowing and, and knowing three years out, knowing five years out. Uh, strategic planning is absolutely a key element. Uh, And again, that manager has to get a buy-in from the artist first. uh, And a buy-in from the team. Uh, And that team is record label, uh, uh, even touring. You know, most managers don't understand tour and how that really works and intricacies of it. Uh, Touring is a, a real beast, and this is the way artists make most of their money. So... If your manager doesn't know and understand touring and you don't really make money from selling records, but you make money from touring, then that is an a end in disaster. I mean, it's a lot of information. Folks don't realize the knowledge base that's required to be an effective manager. You have to know financial. You have to understand uh, be able to read a PL and understand that. I mean, you've got to understand some legal, you gotta work with the attorney, you interface with the the entertainment attorney, you, understand, you interface with the book. Kitchen. Uh you interface with a lot of people.
0: You know, a lot of a lot of recording artists have talked to me about they don't really know how much they've made. Like making money as a recording artist off the album almost becomes like. The company pays you, but the company gives their money to somebody else, and then somebody else says, "This is how much you made." I've had artists tell me, "Yeah, the label owes me somewhere between five and ten million dollars, which that's a gigantic range. And yeah. the label will not let you, even as a powerful manager, look at the books so you don't really know exactly how many records
1: has Beyonce sold. You don't know. No, that's how, not true. How do you deal that, with that? That, that? That's not true. That's not true at all, that the label wouldn't let me look at the books. If you're doing it the correct way, every artist should have a business manager. Yeah. And that business manager's job is to know that information of what's being sold, where all the revenue is coming from, uh, accountability on all of the finances. And that responsibility requires... Audit occasionally, where the business manager will audit the record label and gather all of that information. But again, you have to be a knowledgeable manager to even know the audit exists. What a business manager does. You get my point? The more yeah. we talk, there's nothing you can talk to me about that I won't be able to be knowledgeable. I work my butt off to be extremely knowledgeable. Let, let me just tell a story. Billboard, we, we know, right? Billboard is still the Bible of the music. Yeah. You know what most folks don't know? The decade of 2000 to 2009, Billboard every decade puts out artists of the decade. Now, you can imagine in a decade how many artists. And they put the top 100, and it's based on album sales, it's based on, back then, now it's based on streaming. But it's based on album sales then. It was based on touring revenue. Uh, they had a form. The top 10 artists of the decade, the top 10, 20% of them I managed. Wow. That's why I say I'm unapologetically. I'm actually getting a little annoyed by people not recognizing what I did. That
0: I mean, you know, that's an extraordinary statistic. Um,
1: well, if I was a white man, I would be the number one manager ever in the history of music. <laughs> right.
0: I'm laughing because I love that you said that. Uh, you're just not getting the credit for... The success that you've had, which is so typical of us and what we have to go through and how we, my mom told me when I was a little kid, you're going to have to be twice as good to get half the recognition. And you're here, you are going through that, you know, in your career. Um, Can you talk about, because your book is all about Destiny's Child. Let's talk about the end of Destiny's Child. Why did Beyonce leave? Well, there's no end of that Destiny Show. Of course, of course, of course. But But when she went solo, that was a different era in her career and their career. So, why? Talk about that chapter. What happened there?
1: So, there was a strategic plan, again, talking strategy, that as their manager, I came up with, and each one of the ladies bought into. Because it's not, a manager is not a dictator. Uh, basically, at the end of the day, the artist has the control. Now, what's different with Destiny's Child is you have to understand their ages. And anybody that thinks that an 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old is going to make million dollar decisions in the music industry is fool. The girl started at 16. So you think they were making. Business decisions, it blows my mind that people think at 16 these girls were making business decisions. They were artists. But I came up with a strategy that said, ladies, let's build the audience. And how we build this audience is in between each album. And this also will build your personal growth as an artist in between each Destiny's Child album. Michelle, what is your passion of music, genre of music? I love gospel. I grew up in the church. Kelly, what's your genre? I love pop music. Beyonce, what's your genre? I love R&B. In between every Destiny's Child album, there were three solo albums. That was a strategy. The strategy was to bring a bigger base. The strategy was to make the, each one of the ladies gain more confidence, And the strategy is I knew, they didn't know this, I knew that one day this would outgrow each other. So I wanted everybody to have a fair opportunity for when that happened, that they had a solo career. Michelle has had four number one gospel albums. It angers me that people will not acknowledge. In our business, I don't care if you're a poker artist. If it's number one, it's number one. That means you're the best polka artist there are. There is. Kelly had extreme success international as a pop artist. To this day, Australia dominates. And Beyonce, we know that story.
0: Beyonce has been since since this period we're talking about perhaps the number one recording artist in the world. Certainly. The biggest and most interesting career that we've ever seen in this modern era. Talk about how you guided her, because you continued to be her manager for many years. Um uh,
1: first three albums.
0: Yeah. So so what were so what was the strategy launching her into the solo career that became so incredibly successful? What were the, you know, w- what was the strategy?
1: Well, for Beyoncé, uh the general our strategy was the same for all three ladies. They're just, their genre of music was different. Uh, and, and it starts with having a great song. Uh, you can be Destiny's Child, Beyonce all day long. If you have a whack song, it equals whack. So it begins, for me, it begins with the song. Uh, and going out and getting the best songwriters and the best producers in the industry. And another role of the manager if you're really an effective manager is you build relationships and you go and you find producers and songwriters. Uh, But, you know, I played a dual role. I was the executive producer and the Destiny's Child was a joint venture with Music World, my record label. So, you know, I played a different role on on some of these records. But for Beyonce specifically, it was to go and get those great songs. She was developing because she's a Michael Jordan. She kept learning and learning like a sponge. She wanted to be and still do the greatest.
0: One thing I noticed with Beyonce's songs is more, far more often than anybody else, she starts the song with the chorus. So by the time you get to the 45-second mark, you're hearing the chorus for a second time rather than the first time, and you're so much more invested in the song than a building up to a chorus is is that a conversation
1: that you guys I'm had to give it all away i'll just tell you that the average destiny's child and beyonce's first three records chorus was repeated at least 35 times
0: the, the chorus was repeated 35 times yes the hook was repeated 35 times in and that was a, that was a conscious thought of like kill him with the hook
1: and Destiny Child was, was strategically female empowerment from a marketing perspective. We, we marketed. We, this was thought out. This wasn't like go in the studio. Blah, blah, blah. We had a strategic plan. Who is our customer? Females. So if it's females, what types of songs do we want to have? Female empowerment songs. Independent woman. Bills, 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 bills,
0: bills. Yeah, no, bills. no, no.
1: Yes, this, this survivor. This is not luck, <laughs> you know.
0: And Beyonce continued with that female empowerment message when she went into her solo career.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, you know the songs. Yeah. She, I got older and she fell in love and it began to have also an element of relationships to it. Uh, so. She began to put her own personal relationships uh, in her songs. So she evolved in a great way.
0: I mean, in her recent years, I find it really thrilling to see her become more politicized with her music. Um, just you know, things like formation and other things where she's talking about you know, economic empowerment, political empowerment. Uh, you know, where she's, you know, uh, bringing us the Black Panther vibe at the Super Bowl. And, like, I love that about her. What do you think? Because early on, it was very much not that.
1: We have to give credit. Her sister does equal or even more of that in her songs.
0: Yes, yes. But if
1: you want to give Solange any credit, you know, let's be real here. If you yeah. look at Solange's song, they equally do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, Beyonce has ha, the beginning of her career seemed very like let's let's be for everybody. You know, nobody can hate on any of these these lovely pop records. But as she gets more mature, it becomes more politicized. What do you think about that development in her in her career?
1: I, I think again, it's it's a family thing. It's not a Beyonce. Thing. I don't know, obviously you don't follow what I do, but I'm extremely political. I'm every other day on Zoom talking about structural racism and what's going on with the coronavirus. You had a whole uh, book about it. You know, I, 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 my life, racism from the eyes of a child, uh, these kids blew, grew up with parents who were activists. So it comes at no su- surprise that they're both equally activists right now.
0: Well, one of the points for you in terms of activism, you talked about your health, and you know, you talked about your your chest cancer. Um, where are you just medically? Where are you with that? Well, thank you for
1: saying chest cancer. I appreciate that. So, where am I now? You know, a year in July, uh, I was stage one A. Gratefully, um, I'm healthy. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I also found out through this genetics. I didn't understand genetics and the role genetics play. Uh, I have a BRCA two mutation, which means I have an extremely uh, higher risk of prostate cancer, melanoma, pancreatic cancer, and I had male chest cancer for women it's ovarian cancer, uh, as well as breast cancer. And these are things that we can simply do by doing we can get ahead of this curve by simply doing a genetic test that you can have mail to your home. Uh, You know, there's great companies out there like Vitae that you can use, but there's no reason now why we can't get ahead of the curve uh, on taking control of our medical history.
0: Are you you feeling okay? Are you in remission? Are you still, uh, still struggling uh, like chemo oh, or something? I, I,
1: I feel great. I'm so grateful. I, I take one pill a day. I had to, I didn't have to have any radiology. Uh, I mean, uh, any uh, post-surgical uh, type of treatment, uh, chemo or any radiation therapy. I'm very blessed and grateful for that. Uh, I was stage 1A, but you have to remember, my first Job. I was the number one sales rep in the medical division of Xerox selling zero radiography, the leading modality for breast cancer. Yes. So I had some knowledge. So when I saw that discharge, uh, I realized that I needed to go immediately to a doctor.
0: You saw blood in your T-shirt. Did you... Did it, did at any point, like women talk about feeling a lump is, were you able to feel a lump or is that not the way yeah, it, it was shows no, up there for There was
1: no lump because I had, uh, it was the first stage. Normally for men, that's what happens, uh, is blood comes out. Uh, that's typically the first stage. And it's often ignored by guys because we think, ah, oh. uh, so, you know, and, and, and it, it, sometimes, might be four or five days and stop. But my first three days, I knew. And when I asked my wife, uh, I said, "You know, did you get some new T-shirts? What's going on?" She <laughs> said, "No. Like it's interesting you telling me about this dot of blood because when I changed the, the bedspread, um, there was dots of blood. And I immediately, I have a great, great team of. Uh, I believe in team. I have a team of doctors uh, that." I called, and we immediately, within a week, I saw my doctor, ground, got a biopsy, had surgery, within a week.
0: So they took part of your chest out. Yes. Um. But and and so and now you're and now you're fine. Now it's not the cancer's not in your body at all. I'm cancer free. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's really. Amazing and powerful, cancer
1: free today. And, it,
0: and you talked about that. There's, I mean, there's there's emotional parts of this for men, right? Like you know, you sort of shift the name, and you just think about like we have to be emotionally available to say like, hey, something's going on here. I got to deal with it. I can't just be like, you know, that's for that's for women. Like this is this is something that I'm struggling with.
1: Well, you know, that's why I I didn't hold this as a secret. That's why I went on the Good Morning America, I went on Dr. Oz uh, so that I could be transparent and hopefully help someone, not just men because you know as men, we're always like last to want to go. We don't want to go to the doctor, we're too busy, we have to work. you know we always put it off. Uh, and, and you know when it comes to cancer and heart disease and others, it doesn't look at what we do as a job or our career, or our family. It's It doesn't look at that. Uh, so we have to, and, and also as black people, we lead in almost every uh, aspect of mortality which ties into this coronavirus yeah. that we're leading in the, the death rate because we also – already led in the death rates because we don't go to the doctor early. We go to the doctor when we feel something, when it hurts. That's not taking control of your health. That's not what health and wellness is. Health and wellness is going on an annual, semi-annual basis. If nothing hurts, you feel great. You still go. Health and wellness is controlling your diet. Controlling alcohol consumption, exercising, health and wellness is also mental. You know, I talk about in my second book, Racism from the Eyes of a Child, I've gone through 10 years of therapy from the trauma of being the only, one of the only black kids in elementary, junior high, high school, University of Tennessee, growing up in Gaston, Alabama, um, and paving the road. Me and many, many, many others. So to me, it's a whole totality of things. And then when we look today at structural what I call structural racism, look at our education level, look at our poverty rate, look at housing and how it affects us. Look at our health and wellness. look at how the, I believe the church has to change and not be faith alone. It has to be faith and science combined. When you look at all of that, you understand why coronavirus who's the most fatalities. You understand it. It's structural.
0: What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Dot com slash, slash On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosey Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, a lot of us are essential workers, which puts us on, uh, makes us more vulnerable for this. A lot of us don't have health care, uh, you know, living in food deserts and uh, multi-generational homes. And there's, there's, you know, you're totally right. There's lots of structural reasons why this, uh, this is hitting us a little bit harder. Yeah,
1: I, I want to say, does that sound like something Beyonce and Solange might get some of the activism from? <laughs> I <mean>, the apple <laughs> I never chick- falls from the tree. Did I articulate that, like, you know, um, maybe I have a platform that I say this a lot? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's the first time I said
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we are we're definitely all our parents' children. And, you know, if it's coming out of her, I'm sure it's coming out of you as well.
1: Um, I'm so I proud. Mean, of, by the but, way. I'm so proud of Beyonce, and, and uh, you know she's made a, a, a she's changed a culture. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And, and that's that's major when you change a well, culture.
0: What? So so a couple things. You're, if you were managing her now, or if she came to you, I'm sure she still turns to you for advice occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be the strategic advice going forward? Because she's still the number one recording artist in the world, but keeping it going as you get older and older gets harder and harder. You know, well, so my first so- thing
1: is Beyonce, I love you dearly. I am enjoying being your dad. There's no way in hell I want to manage you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying you obviously don't know how much work is involved with Taking someone from zero to 100, that is consuming consumption, consumption, consumption of every moment that you are breathing. Uh, And right now, I enjoy not having that level of stress, that many airplanes, (laughs) that many meetings, that many people unhappy, that many people happy. Uh, I'm enjoying that. So I I wouldn't do that. I, 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 Beyonce ass. I I would respectfully
0: tell me about um, your granddaughter
1: Blue. What's what's she like? Blue is a very very. I had to see it myself because I was thinking, you know, uh, in comparison, comparison to to Beyonce, she's a a young, um, you know, she's eight years old. I mean, so. So I only compare her at eight years old and Solange and Beyonce at eight years old. And she's a combination of Solange and Beyonce at eight years old. Uh, Passionate about entertaining. Um, I I couldn't believe when I heard her play the piano. Um, But, you know, I just firmly believe she's eight years old. I don't believe as a parent or a grandparent that I push a kid in a direction, she'll figure out, and her mom and dad will figure out what she's passionate about. And I'm sure they'll do the same thing I did. But once they understand what she's passionate about, they'll surround her with the tools. Uh, but now she's eight years old. Uh, so she's got to enjoy that as well.
0: But you see, you're, I think you're starting to say you see the the beginnings of the talent and the passion for performing that you saw in your daughter.
1: Yeah, I am. But I see that also in Rumi. Rumi is like two years old and she is giving you salons all day long. And that is, (laughs) Hey, look at me, look at me, watch me dance. So, I mean, I think it's a a, a thing that that's, you know, just is a genetic thing in our family. What about Sir? Um, sir is like, there's a whole bunch of women. I just want to be by myself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, you, 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 you talk about managing Solange also.
1: And, um, you got, men- left out Jules. I can't let you do that. Okay. Tell me about Jules. Jules is my 15-year-old, Solange's son. Uh, Jules could be a uh, NBA basketball player. He's really that, he's that good. Point How, t- guard, how, how tall is he? At fifteen, he's 6'5". Six, six wow. wow. He's going to be around six eight. Uh, I don't know if he's passionate enough about it. I don't know that, uh, and, and I'm not there and around him enough. Uh, so he he has certainly has the talent. Um, and he also loves music. So, you know, sports and music, I, I think, will be one of his things. He'll, as he get older, he'll figure it out. And, uh, but this kid is, uh, you know, he speaks fluent French. Wow. Uh, he's an incredible kid. I, I mean, I'm proud of all my grandkids. I'm not gonna just single out one, that yeah. one different than the other. I'm proud of all of them. And in time, I think, We'll hear from
0: all of them. I haven't, I haven't met Jules, but I have met Solange a couple of times. She's beautiful. She's widely known. She's a great singer. She's incredibly artistic. Some of her music is fantastic. What does she need to do to get more commercial success? Because artistically, you know, critics are like, these are great records. Um, but, I you think
1: know. you know, with Solange making. As I understand, three four $400,000 per show. I don't think Salon's give a damn about commercial success. She never cared growing up, and I don't think she cares now. Uh, she wants to make sure her fans and her, they connect in a special way. Uh, that's, all, that's who she is. She's an incredible songwriter. We forget that Salon wrote Flaws and All, co-wrote Flaws and All. Co wrote "Upgrades," you. Co wrote "Get Me Body." Co wrote fifty percent of Kelly's first song that was three times platinum. We we forget we forget that, and the many other people she's written for. But more importantly, it's to walk in the shadow of your sister and get out of that. She's no longer Beyonce's little sister. Yeah, she's Solange.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, I'm very proud of that.
0: You talk about her touring success, just for all artists in the era of Corona, the touring industry has been completely interrupted and we may not have a major tour for another year and a half to two years. What do artists do uh, to 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 deal with that whole because that's as we talked about that's a major income source for most artists
1: yeah for for I'll, I'll speak to that in two parts for Beyonce and Solange. Uh, I think this is a wonderful time for them to just take a breath, take a moment. Um, They work so hard, I think, for them specifically. This is a great time for them to have family time, uh, to work on future projects. But, you know, they work extremely, extremely hard. Uh, For someone else that's starting out in the industry, for example, Uh, I think, you know, there's many, many ways, like, we are communicating on Zoom. Uh, We have the digital platform, many, many ways to perform, to build an audience. But more importantly, if you're a songwriter, you've been given a time in history that we might not ever, and hopefully, see again, uh, this pandemic. The greatest songwriters, something they all have in common is that they've experienced what they wrote about. Pain. You can't write about pain if you've never had pain. I mean, you can write about it, but you can't. Not the same. Not the the same. I can't write about love. I've never been in love. Fear now, anxiety, Racism, there's so much going on today. But as a songwriter, that you should pull your emotions from every moment you're, locked, you're awake and put that to pencil and pad. It's an opportunity. What we forget is sometimes that when we look at adversity, there are opportunities to grow rather than quit. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you talk about Beyonce having a moment to take a break when girls time and Desi's child was first blowing up. And when, when you were first in love with, you know, just music celebrities, the strategy was we get in the audience's face and then we take a break and then we come back and then we, take, so it allow you to miss us a little bit, right? Michael Jackson came out once every four years, right? Um, artists would come out maybe every other year and then you miss them and they come back. Uh, the Beyonce strategy, at least the entire period of going solo, seems to be like saturation bombing. There's always a new album or a new movie or a new something where Beyonce is constantly available and, like, you know, you're able to see what she's doing on. Has that been part of the strategy of, like, she's always there?
1: Well, I, I, uh, I'm i really proud. Of, uh, for years in the industry, other record executives – and when you talk to them, I, I, I hope you ask them. Ask them about the B plan. The whole industry came and adopted the B plan, mm-hmm. the Beyonce plan. Everybody wanted to do every record label like we're doing the Beyonce plan. And, and, and that's amazing that we could make an impact, all of us, that change a whole industry. Think about that. We changed an industry. Uh, because my belief was that oversaturation, over-satu- what do you mean, oversaturation? We have 7 billion people that change their opinion daily. And as technology comes out, we're giving them more choices. Now, you can sit down, take a break. And as your competitor, I'm going to kick your ass because you gave me an opportunity and a window to get your clients and get your, your consumer base. Uh, they have too many choices today, and they had too many choices back there to say, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to take some time off. Well, those that did that, where are they now?
0: hmm Hmm. I mean, I think about you know what she did at Coachella and the movie around it, and the 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 physical energy that she talks about in the movie that I'm a mom returning from giving birth twice and the effort it takes to get back to the body and the performance. It is. It's an extraordinary. It's almost like an athletic sort of conversation of an athlete returning to the court or the field. Um, And it's an iconic moment for the culture, if not, not just for her career, but for the whole culture.
1: Well, you you were, as you were talking, I was saying exactly what you ended up saying. What folks don't understand is that uh, Beyonce is an athlete uh, to, and I remember, and I shared this when the passing of Kobe. Who uh, was a young man I knew uh, growing up with the girls, and I uh, I remember getting a call from Kobe directly it was like Mr. Well, knows can I can I get two tickets? Uh, it was kind of last minute, and I was like, well, uh, he was like, I really want to sit on the front row. Uh, I said, well, yeah, I I think I can make that happen for you. I said, why do you want to go to a Beyonce show? Because I was a little baffled by that. You know, she was up and coming. And, he, he said on the phone, he says, oh, no, I actually, asked, I actually asked him after the show because I asked him how did he enjoy it. That's when I said, why do you want to come to the Beyonce show? He says, I wanted to see greatness, and I wanted to learn. And, you know, as we now know now, we know that would be Kobe. You know, he would want to learn something. But think about it. When somebody performs for two to two and a half hours, And they're constantly moving at a very high rate of speed, like a basketball player or a football player. They don't have timeouts. They do have, like, one-minute breaks, maybe four, five one-minute breaks to do a wardrobe change. Uh, They don't have another team that can play defense. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> they don't have other players on the team. <laughs> That's an athlete. And every moment is a
0: last second shot. You can't yes. like take off in the third song and, you
1: know, like every single moment has to hit. And the last song has to have the same energy as the first song.
0: And, and, and one of the things that I love so much about Coachella was the whole performance was so unapologetically black. And so many artists get more pop as they get older and she gets more into herself and her culture. And that salute to her culture and HBCU culture and was just so powerful to watch.
1: It was. And it made, it made a real impact on college, uh, young people in college and their approach. And as we can see commercials change, we can see how schools put emphasis in there's and it made it impacted in such a great way. Uh a lot of white people didn't know when you said HBCU. What the hell does that
0: mean? <laughs> <laughs> Surely had not been exposed to the culture.
1: Yeah, you know, let's be real about it. You know, they didn't know. Uh but then, you know, they began to understand more and that's what growth is about. That's what this country needs, is everybody being real and saying, hey, You're different, I'm different. Let me understand your culture. And and that's what she's done, and that's what Destiny Child's done. And, you know, I was happy to see the girls come back and and not miss a beat. Uh, I could see they missed a little beat only because it was me. Uh, (laughs) uh, But overall, exceptional. I was happy. My funnest moment was to watch. Uh, Beyonce and Salons do the dance off thing, and then that was amazing. You know what I always used to tell people. Uh, you know, we talk back about management. as a manager, and this is all of my. You know, most people don't even know all the artists I managed. Uh, Life Jennings. I mean, I can go on and on. I guarantee you don't know ten artists I manage. But all
0: right, so name 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 your top five. Beyonce number one. Nas number
1: two. Uh, who else? Uh, I'm trying to think in a. Top five, then we would do, well, Destiny's Child, obviously. You know, all the three girls. Let's take them out. Let's okay. take them out. The girls in the Destiny's Child part in the lines. So that's look, Life Jennings, Mario, Grammy nominated. Uh, Nas, we all know. Then we look into, I built the number one gospel label. We look at Leandreal Johnson, Grammy Award winner. Number one female artist in 2014, gospel female, number one in the whole industry. Trinity 5'7, five, five albums and I managed them. Number one contemporary, contemporary, contemporary trio in the history of gospel music. Most people don't realize Shaka Khan and the L- London Symphony is on Music World, my lady. Most people don't realize OJ's last album is on my label. Most people don't know Cool in a Game and Friends' last album, All Music World. Earth, Wind & Fire' last album, Pure Gold. Ray J's last album. Most people don't realize, I bought five management companies. Five, these young black men from Ken Do, millions of dollars I paid these young people.
0: I mean, when you talk about the OJ's and Earth, Wind & Fire, is that you saying like these were some of my favorite artists when I was just a fan? Let me work with them now that I have you know my own infrastructure. Because some of the other ones are younger and come up after you're already in the industry. You know, obviously not Nas, but some of the other ones. But those two, those were artists that you were fan personal fans of, were they not?
1: Oh yeah, I, 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 uh, When and Fire was everything. Of course. Yeah.
0: And the and the OJs.
1: Yeah, OJ is also yeah. Shaka Khan,
0: Shaka Khan is a legend.
1: Um, I had some fun fun times, you know. Shaka uh, Khan, uh, we did a standards album with the London Symphony, uh, and I had to go and convince the London Symphony—that's a big deal, London Symphony—to do a record. You yeah. uh, know, we we did it in in London, uh, and Shaka was totally against. Totally against it. And I said, Shaka, one day, you're going to be 70. And you don't want to be running around dancing. You're going to sit in a chair in Vegas every day and make money. And hopefully, any day, shes I hope her next step is in Vegas. Uh, she didn't know I was in the audience uh, in San Diego about three months, four months ago. And she did three of the songs on the uh, Classicon. Is the name of the album, The London Symphony. She didn't know I was there. It was a totally white audience, and they went crazy. She did our show, but it was those three songs, those standards. You know, you know Stormy Weather. You know, the, that's what these people went crazy on. Let and me. It let me. A yeah. proud moment to know. I,
0: Damn. Let me ask you a difficult question: Who's the better singer, Shaka
1: Khan or Beyonce? Who's the better singer? <laughs> I don't ever do singers. I do entertainers. I don't okay. give a damn how well you can sing. Who cares? I can go to church and find singers. Really, singers? Who okay. the hell does that? Oh, no, I'm, but is it, sorry? That, that's that, the people that don't understand in the industry. Oh, no, yeah. I, Let's say singers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you because it, it is the entertainment. No, I'm but I hear you. But it, but but that's a window into your thinking because it is the entertainment business. And there are people who cannot sing who are amazing entertainers and could sell out arenas around the globe. And it's not a singing contest. It's an entertaining contest.
1: Absolutely. And then there's those that can do all of it. And they dominate. But I, I just, I, I cringe when someone says, oh, that person can really sing it. I, I really don't care if you can sing. Um, it's I just one part
0: of the puzzle. Can you also dance? Can you also dress? Can you also have charisma? Like, like, what? It's a whole part of the puzzle. Exactly. And can you listen? What do you mean by that?
1: Can you listen to constructive criticism? Can you hmm. listen to another person's perception? and have an open mind about it. That's what I mean. A lot of artists can't listen. You know, they they have. And sometimes, that's not to say that their, their vision is wrong or right, uh, but a smart person always will listen to another perspective and then come up with a conclusion, not without listening to another perspective. I mean, that's why I enjoy teaching 12 years of college is that I like, giving perspectives and listening to perspectives because anybody that's a good educator, that's what they do. Listen to your perspectives. You talk about
0: listening. I feel like Beyonce has done an excellent job at listening to the audience because she's giving us what we want before we know we want it from her rather than just following. And she does her research. So one thing I ask everybody Um, is what's your superpower? What is the thing about you that you do better than other people that has allowed you to have the success that you've had?
1: Well, it goes uh, kind of far back. I'll give a short version. Um, I my grandfather uh, had 300 acres of land, he's my Mentor, my idol, entrepreneur, smartest man I know. What's his name? Dave Hogue, H-O-G-U-E. Marion, Alabama, half Cherokee, half Apple. Um, my mother and my father, both entrepreneurs, poor people. Dad made $30 a week. Mom made $3 a day, $15 a week. Both of them convinced the white my dad convinced the white company, he was a truck driver, to let him keep that truck 24-7. And he would go tear down old houses and sell the metals, the coppers. He would buy old cars. He would sell every part. My mom would go and tell, ask the woman, white woman she worked for, give her any hand-me-downs. And they would make cute, her and her girlfriends on the weekend quilts and sell them for two, $300. Uh, made more, way more income. I've had role models in my life. Uh, my first book is the DNA of Achievers. I'm grateful that my family heritage are successful Black people, entrepreneurial and educated Black people. Uh, I'm, and that's who I learned from. And I hope that that's why Solange and Beyonce are the way they that, that they are. Yeah. Listening, seeing their parents. You got to remember. These kids grew up with their mother having number one hair salon. We made a million dollars in 1985 with a hair salon. That was the number one sales rep in the world. We didn't live in the hood. (laughs) We, We challenged each other. We shared our successes. We shared our failures. We talk about Black Lives Matter. We talk about blackness. We talk about colorism. We did this. This is what these kids grew up with. Uh, So, you know, I don't think people put that in the equation.
0: And Uh, your your child is the number one recording artist of her generation. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you were a big part of that. You weren't just over here. Like, it's like James Jordan plus Phil Jackson at once. Like, how does that sit on you?
1: I'm just grateful. I- I'm just extremely grateful. Uh, first of all, I see my kid happy. I mean, as parents, uh, that's the number one thing I think we want to see is our kids happy, whatever it is. Uh, and that's why I, I don't. If if Solange Beyonce had came to me and said, hey, Daddy, you know, I want to be a doctor, I would have been, cool, go to med school. When you finish, I will have bought a hospital. See how I think? I would have bought a hospital for you. So when I see this, I'm not overly shocked and surprised.
0: How is the business different that 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 because when you young manager and girls time dreamers were like, we want that. And when you get there, it's different than what you thought it would be. You know, seasoned manager, superstar artist, but it's different. How is it different than what y'all thought it would be? Hell, it was a beautiful thing.
1: We love <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> huh? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I hated that. I didn't know. It. No, we, we. there's an amount of gratitude to be able to get to that level, to have and to see the impact that you have on others' lives. Look, Survivor, that song Survivor, saved folks' lives. I used to read these stacks of fan mail and somebody saying I was in the bathtub And I was about to take the razor and slash my wrist. And in the kitchen, the song Survivor came on. And I listened to it. And I started crying. And I got out of the bath. I got so many of those. Uh, You know, that's a number of songs that over the careers that these artists have saved people's lives. It's not just entertaining also. It's the impact that some of these songs have had on us. And that's a beautiful thing to know that, which is the same impact I hope I have when I talk about my health, uh, that it saves some lives, not just the monetary value or the fame value, but there's no greater sense of self, sense of community uh, than saving, having an impact on possibly saving someone's life. That's that's a beautiful thing.
0: Thank you so much to Mr. Knowles for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, and Michelle. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. And check out my newsletter, Black Minds Matter. Go to blackmindsmatter.substack.com show shows written by me, Toure, and produced by Jackie Garofano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.